Well, you know yourself that if you get up on Saturday mornings with a purpose in mind, then your day is much more productive. You've got a focus, a sense of direction, and your day unfolds accordingly. And it's the same if we have a main life purpose as well. It gives us a sense of direction and helps us to establish our priorities and be focused on what's really important. Without doubt, Nehemiah had a clear sense of purpose when he left Persia to travel across to Israel. And that clear sense of purpose helped him significantly to carry out the task that he went there to do. It gave him a vision of the outcome he wanted to achieve, the ability to inspire a very disheartened workforce, determination to work through difficulties as they arose, and clarity in his dealings with opponents as they came to him. As a direct result of Nehemiah's very clear sense of purpose and involvement in the lives of the people there at Jerusalem, the walls around the city were completed and the administration of the city was vastly improved. Now what I'd like us to consider briefly uh, today is, is this. How did Nehemiah's clear sense of purpose come about? What happened that gave him such a real strong sense of mission? So what I'd like us to do is to read the first four verses in his book and we'll be looking for this. We'll be looking for this. How did Nehemiah's very clear sense of purpose come about? Nehemiah chapter 1. And just verses 1, 2 and 3 first. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as in Shushan the palace, that Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. So just reviewing what we read then, the first thing that happened was that Nehemiah made an inquiry. Some of his relatives had made the journey from uh, Jerusalem across to Persia and when he saw them, he inquired about the state of affairs back in Jerusalem. And the news that he heard was very bleak. The people living there were in great distress and they faced constant scorn and ridicule from the uh, people living in the surrounding lands. Those foreigners were laughing at them, laughing at the city and saying uh, insulting things about their God. Now, not only were the people in distress, but the condition of the city itself was absolutely pitiful and especially the walls, even the gates 
was still lying in ruins. So this meant that Jerusalem could not be defended against the multitude of enemies living in the surrounding lands and it also meant that the temple that had been rebuilt under Zerubbabel was vulnerable. And so Nehemiah heard that things were not good. Now what did he do when he heard that report? Well, we don't have to wonder because he tells us. It's there in verse 4. Look at verse 4. He says, And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's what Nehemiah did. He cried. Now, what happened within Nehemiah that caused him to respond by crying, mourning, weeping and and praying and so forth? What happened within Nehemiah that brought about that response? Well, first of all, Nehemiah saw the significance of the problem. As a devoted Jew, when he heard the report that Hananiah gave him, he summed it up as as really bad news. It was really bad news because he knew that Jerusalem and its people were really significant to God. And so the poor state of God's work wasn't a trivial matter. And also when he heard that the city was doing poorly and its people were living in miserable conditions, Nehemiah also knew that all that reflected very poorly upon God himself. The phrase, the glory of God, was just something to scoff at. The condition of the people in the city, it just confirmed the insults that the foreigners were making of Israel's God. And so Nehemiah saw deep significance in what was happening there in Israel. So first of all, he saw the significance of the problem. But it didn't end there because secondly, he also felt a connection with the cause. When he heard the news, it it resonated within him. It, It flicked on a switch somewhere deep within him. Why? Well, partly, as I just said, because... Uh, He knew the significance that God placed upon Jerusalem and its people. But partly too because he too was a Jew. Nehemiah, he was also a Jew and he saw the deep need that his own people were in. But also partly because of this reason as well. Nehemiah recognised that the type of skills that would be required in order for the problem to be solved were skills that he himself possessed. And the king's approval that was necessary in order for the project to be given and go ahead was possibly one that he himself would be able to obtain because he was that king's very own personal bodyguard. And so that Nehemiah realised that if the Lord was in it, 
He himself, Nehemiah himself, would be able to make a difference and improve the miserable conditions that God's people were living in back there in in Jerusalem. And then thirdly, over the weeks that followed, Nehemiah pondered the possibilities. He constantly thought about the situation. He turned it over and over in his mind, thinking about the possibilities. What might the Lord be thinking? What things would need to come together in order for things to happen? What resources would, would, would he need if, if he got involved, if Nehemiah got involved? He thought about things. And he did this for about four months prayer, with prayer and fasting. Yes, that's how Nehemiah developed a very, very clear sense of purpose. He made an inquiry, first of all, to find out what the situation was. Secondly, he understood the significance of the problem. Thirdly, he felt a connection with the cause deep within. And then fourthly, he pondered the possibilities with prayer over a period of time. And then after that, he took action. Well, we're going to pull out at that point. That was the Amiah situation. We're just going to leave it there. Most of you would know how things develop from there. I just want to refocus the spotlight for a moment. We just saw Nehemiah's situation. Now, what about you? Do you currently have a sense of purpose that gives your life a focus? And if so, is that sense of purpose somehow related to something that is very important to God? Something that promotes His cause? If not, what is something that you could do that could make a difference to someone or something and would please the Lord. You may be aware of some causes that don't get your attention at all. You're not cut out for it. You you haven't got the ability to do that particular thing. Or you have perhaps, but the opportunity to do it has gone, has passed on. But there should be some other things that you would be able to do. What problems or what causes can you think of which are significant and which you feel some sort of a connection to? As you think about it, as it comes to mind, it flicks on a switch somewhere deep within. If you can identify something, maybe some sort of situation which has some broken walls and some burnt gates, if something does come to mind, as just as you think about it right now, could maybe that become your purpose? Could you give yourself to that? Might be good if you ponder it. Turn it over in your mind over the days or or maybe weeks ahead or (laughs) hours ahead. Turn it over in your mind. Spend some time thinking about it, praying seriously about it. 
because it may be that the Lord would like to use you in that particular situation. He cannot use Nehemiah. Nehemiah's time is gone. He's gone. The Lord can't work through Nehemiah now, but he might be able to work through you in that particular situation that may be in your mind right now. Today we're focusing on missions. And so as we conclude, I'd like you to make you aware of this particular cause, the cause of missions, which, as you would know, is one which is very significant to the Lord. But it's also one, figuratively speaking, that has some broken walls and some burnt gates. It's a cause that does face a number of problems and today I'm going to present one of those main problems to you and it's a problem that relates to the shortage, to a shortage in the workforce. I'm not going to describe the problem to you in terms of its effects Rather, I'm just going to state what the problem is. It'll be in general terms and it'll be in terms of statistics and then we're done. Okay, so we're looking at, at a, a serious problem in the area of missions, one of the problems, and I'm presenting it in, in a general manner, just in terms of statistics. Three sets, here we go. Statistic number one. Apparently, November 15 last year, uh, the authorities, whoever they are, uh, announced that the total population of the world ticked over to the 8 billion figure. So 8 billion people apparently are now living on this planet, number one. Number two, according to the Joshua Project, uh, which is a, a well-respected uh, organisation and also the International Missions Board, of, uh, according to those two uh, uh, authorities, of the 8 billion people on the planet at the moment, there are 41% are considered to be unreached, according to the, the most recent definition. 41% of 8 billion people unreached with the gospel. Number two. Number three, according to Frontier Harvest Ministries in 2007, uh, no reason to uh, see any great uh, change in the trend, but according to that authority in 2007, 95% of all full-time Christian workers were working within the Christian world. So that leaves 5% of full, all full-time Christian workers working spread out among the rest, the 41% of the 8 billion people. So that's quite an imbalance, isn't it? 95% working within the reached Christian world, 5% spread out among the rest. That's quite an imbalance and it's quite a bleak situation if you happen to be one of the 41% of the world's population that has very little, if any, access to the gospel. Now, if you're looking for a purpose to be involved in, one that is very close to God's heart, then here's one to consider. I'm going to suggest something. This afternoon or this evening or sometime this week, turn your computer on, go on the internet and type in peoplegroups.org. 
not peoplegroups.com, that'll get you somewhere else, peoplegroups.org. And on your screen, there'll be a list of, uh, of people groups, different nationalities of people groups living around the world. Then push more and you'll get a whole lot more. Choose one of those people groups and research, research into them. Where are they? Find out some things. Find out what their situation is. Do some research. Where are they? How many people? And especially, are there any religious groups working in among them? If so, who? Uh, we've got uh, one, one site I've gone to. Um, the site calls uh, all the tribal groups, pretty well all the tribal groups in Papua New Guinea reached. Uh-uh, not so. If you look at who the, p the, the religious groups apparently who are with them, often it's just simply Roman Catholics like t the Tomoips next to us, considered to be reached, but there's just a Roman Catholic mission there and they do not know what the gospel is. So look at your people group. What are the groups in there? Uh, maybe it's, it's listed as unreached, but if, it, if it's not, just look at the, the, the religious groups that are there because there's a chance uh, it's still unreached, that the gospel has not taken root there. Anyway, what I'm saying is do some research, find out where they are, how many people, what the situation is, and then pray. Can just This is not a church activity, this is just you. Pray for that one people group, especially that people who understand the gospel, people who teach the gospel, present the gospel, would go to that people group and enable that people group to be off the unreached people group list if, if it's on it at all. That they would be reached with the gospel. Adopt a people group and pray for them. There's an idea, there's a cause. Or if these figures really resonate with you, 41% of the world's 8 billion people with little if any ac uh, access to the gospel, then ponder it. Ponder the cause of mission yourself. <coughs> Pray about it seriously. See if the Lord is leading you to, to serve as one of the full-time Christian, full Christian workers that work somewhere among the 5% of the, um, I, I should say, among the 41% of the world's population that is currently listed as unreached. Let's pray. <coughs> Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, that as it takes root in people's hearts, it makes a difference. It transforms them from being lost into people who are your children, people who are saved, people who are righteous before you, people who are heading uh, to spend uh, eternity in glory, in heaven with you. Thank you for the impact that the gospel makes in people's lives. Thank you, Father, that we can have a part <coughs> in seeing the gospel uh, go to uh, different places and different people groups and regions around the world and we think that we can have a part in that. Uh, we can play a role in that wonderful uh, task of getting the gospel out. Encourage each one of us, help us to know where we fit in on the overall scheme and help us to commit ourselves to the task that you've given us and, uh, and uh, yeah, to follow through. Thank you, Lord. Please encourage us with your word and we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.